0: And you're listening to the Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Joining me this morning is Mema Carmo. Mema is a breast cancer survivor. Her new book is called Fearless, Awakening to My Life's Purpose Through Breast Cancer. Uh, she was diagnosed with breast cancer at age 32, which of course, uh, and not surprisingly as she describes it, shattered her world. Uh, she was the survivor of civil unrest in Liberia, a college-educated professional, and a dedicated mother to her young daughter. Uh, breast cancer was not part of the plan. How could this happen? Uh, welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Mama.
1: Thanks for having me on, Catherine. It's good to talk to you.
0: Good to talk to you, and I, I've perused your website, uh great website, lots of information. We'll get to that later, but apparently after you had, had your second chemotherapy treatment, you then got on the Oprah Winfrey Show. And it was Oprah yeah. who said, you got to write this book. And, of course, if she says write the book, you write the book. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, it was pretty, you know, amazing how everything happened. Getting diagnosed was just, you know, a very um, a mind-blowing experience. I was so young, I never thought I, could be, I would be touched by breast cancer. Um, and I uh, felt propelled to make a difference. You know, I was laying in bed going through treatment and thinking, you know, how many other young women are there out there like me going through this? I need to make a difference and not worry about, you know, why is this happening to me? And so I began to give you know and um of myself at a time when I didn't really have much to give, and through that, a lot of you know the universe opens up when you do that and um I got a call from the Oprah Winfrey Show one day, and I didn't know it was them, and I thought it was a prank <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and long story short, they had me on it was a quite an incredible experience
0: uh, you you, know, a, you were thirty two years old when you were diagnosed. Um, Because I want to go back to that, obviously, because the work that you do, you work with young women who are diagnosed under the age of, diagnosed with breast cancer under the age of 40, and apparently there are 11,000 women every year under the age of 40 who are diagnosed with breast cancer. I mean, that's a diagnosis one does not expect to get at that age. So can, can we start with that?
1: I mean, yeah, what? I mean, yeah. women women under women over 40 get breast cancer more often, but women under 40 tend to have more aggressive types of breast cancer. So, um, and part of the issue is that the doctors think that you know, looking, looking at women who are over 40, for one, women under 40 have more dense breasts, which makes it you know harder to detect the tumors when there's you know when they're doing screening, and they're not aware. So, they're often told when they find a the tumor, is okay, you know, it's nothing, it's only a cyst. You're too young or they're not even getting checked or doing their annual or monthly breast self examinations. So that's, you know, it's an issue with the health practitioners, with the young woman, and, you know, overall with the medical community that people just don't, usually they weren't aware historically. Um, And so when I went to my doctor, I found a lump. My mother told me to do my exams at a young age, so I began doing them at 13.
0: Your mother's a nurse. Your mother's an
1: RN. She's a nurse, and she worked for the UN at the time. Uh, yeah, and she said, you know, it's important to know your body because if you don't know your body now as you begin to develop breasts and they change, you won't know what to look for. You won't know what's normal and what's not. And so thank God I had her, and it was a habit. I just did it every morning and so, found a lump, went to my doctor, and she said, get a mammogram. I got the mammogram, and they said, you know, oh, we found another tumor, another lump per se, a lump, I'm sorry. But um, they're both just it. Don't worry about them.
0: Both of them were in the same breath?
1: um, Yes. But I couldn't feel the other one. It was more near my chest wall. Um, But the other one was a benign, you know, cyst. But either way, they found that the the tumorous lump was there, and they told me it was nothing. And I had an aspiration which failed, and they said, you know, it's nothing. So just come back in six months to a year. And the doctors told me to pretty much forget about it. But because I have a mother who's a nurse and my whole Life has been centered around, you know, health. I have physicians in my family, and I knew better. So I kept pushing for the biopsy because I wanted to know that the tumor was going to be, in fact, benign. Um, And thank God, I pushed against my doctor's, you know, um, orders. I pushed her for months. And finally she said, you know, she did a biopsy and called the next day to tell me that I had breast cancer and that it was aggressive breast cancer. So if I hadn't pushed for the biopsy, you know, God knows what would have been. The outcome, most likely I would have been diagnosed as stage 4 and I, would be, I wouldn't be talking to you right now.
0: But Nama, my question is two things, like when you, first, your reaction when you feel a lump in your breast, I mean, what it, because I, you know, and it, yes, chances are if you are under 40, it's going to be cyst, not necessarily breast cancer. What was your, how did you, I mean, what was your reaction? Did you want to just forget it? I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth. That's number one. And number two, when they're telling you that it's not breast cancer and you keep pushing for it, you're like pushing for something that you don't
1: want and how,
0: you know, that's difficult to do. Do you know?
1: So it is hard, it, yeah. especially most women don't even know to push. Or they trust the doctor instinctively because, you know, that it's a position. You know, you think that, okay, there's a doctor and I'm just me. So when I first saw a lump, I knew right away it wasn't a good lump. It didn't belong there because it wasn't there the month before. I me mean, had grown in no time. So I knew my, my, literally it was like the sun, my world got darker. But I knew that something was very wrong and I've been, you know, um, feeling more tired than usual and just not feeling myself and um i think the thing that was hard for me is the doctor kept saying to me was well, we had an aspiration in this field but she's like it's a cyst. and we had a, i got a mammogram done and that came back clear so for all purposes mammograms is clear so it means that it can't be anything right but i knew my body well enough to push i'm not saying that most women that find tumors and get a mammogram need to keep pushing, but it's like the really the real issue is knowing your body really, really well and having a good baseline, personal baseline for your health, how you feel, you know, what? how you feel when you're sick, how do you know your your breath, you know, what, what was your so breath? Okay, and so
0: you forth. know your breath, that's number one. Number two, you said you felt more tired. You didn't really feel yourself. Any other?
1: No. Um, I was having a lot of night sweats, you know, just getting up with my, just a bed would be with, you know, just sweat like menopause um, symptoms yeah something like what well, it was i don't think it was just my body fighting something but i thought I'm, I'm sweating profusely at nighttime um i'm exhausted and there's a lump there and it wasn't there the month before and because i had a history of doing my my, my monthly breast examinations i knew the lump felt different from the other lumps and i knew it wasn't there before so knowing your body your breast for one your body for two and just being aware you know um and then I you know I, when I got the aspiration done, they said, "Well, it's not aspirating. well, technically a cyst is supposed to aspirate. it shouldn't you know not aspirate. so if it's a cyst and it's supposed to aspirate and it's not, then it probably isn't a cyst. Um, so I knew enough about you know my body to push, and you know so I tell women all the time it's important to get young woman aware of their bodies and begin doing their breast examinations at an early age. Um, just to be aware of the body is not more, not not to say worry about having breast cancer per se, but just to be more aware of your entire body, you know, in terms of taking care of yourself, exercising, eating healthy, and, and, and so on, having a healthy lifestyle. So th-
0: I, I understand that, okay, that, that
1: at that point when you
0: found out, okay, it is breast cancer, let's go back to that because... Um then how did you feel? Then I mean what kind of support did you need, I guess is what I'm saying. I because mean, you have sound like a per person obviously has a very strong personality, a good sense of yourself, support from your mother who's an RN. There are a lot of other women who are not in that position, or probably more who are not in that position, who perhaps aren't in good health, they're obese, they don't have
1: support, they don't all of those things. Um, well, once I got diagnosed it was you know, it was I was in shock. And um You know, I had a lot of people around me, but at the same time, I was, you know, living with myself and I was engaged to get married. Um, My fiancé didn't want to, after my surgery, he just didn't want to deal with it anymore and he, he, you know, walked away from the relationship. So, I ended up where I thought there was going to be a week going through this together. It was just a me. And so, that's one thing I, you know, it's really important. A lot of men are great spouses and great partners and some men have a hard time dealing with it and some are just not um, good partners. Yeah. Um, But it's important to really um, care for the caregiver as well and uh, but from my story, so he walked away so I was just kind of, I didn't know how to even tell anybody for the first couple of, a month or so like what was going on because I was just thinking I have cancer, I'm in shock and then he's gone and that's another shock. Um, My mother so I tried to be to do it on my own for a while, and I was in my own home until I had chemotherapy, and my daughter was three years old at the time. And so it just became very hard with the stitches and after my surgery, and you know trying to heal and um, just going through so much. So I ended up getting really sick and getting hospitalized um, after my second treatment. My mom, when I finally you know opened my eyes and I felt normal, she said, "Okay, you're coming home with me." And pretty much you know we packed up my house and I moved in with her for the rest of the year, and um, it was, it was you know, I had family around. They were wonderful, um, but the challenges were, you know, having somebody who was my age to talk to about this because people kept saying to me, you know, you're lucky you have a child. You know, if you can't have any more because of fertility issues after treatment, you, you're going to be okay. I can not have more. I'm pretty sure my cycle is back on, which is something that happens sometimes after treatment. Um, at a young age, well, fertility is impacted by the chemotherapy, and if your cycle doesn't come back, then you may not be able to have, but mine's fine, so um, so that's not an issue. But at the time, I was told, you know, um, there's there's facility issues, and you know, I had to work. I was still working, you know, when I could, and so it was just really challenging to have to work, you know, grocery shop, to you know, cook and clean for, and care for an infant, um, and the financial burden was, you know, it just added up. You know, with or without insurance, you have a budget for your life, and when you're in treatment, there's bills for co payments and visits after treatment and, visit and you know, m- uh, medication and scans. And it just literally, um, by the time treatment ended, the year was over. I had, went, I had gone through my savings and part of my 401K, and I just, you know, it was just really, really hard.
0: So how do you keep from, I mean, you've described a whole myriad of issues and problems. Number one, chemotherapy, and unfortunately I've had a lot of experience with friends, I'm much older than you, who have had breast cancer and chemotherapy and all what that does to you both emotionally and physically. And then you're talking about finances, taking care of a child, um, just doing the activities of daily living. How do you keep from getting depressed and not letting it overwhelm you and just saying, you know, giving up?
1: Um, well, honestly, I didn't, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to lie. I was very depressed. Um, at one point I just thought, you know, I can't do it anymore. I'm too tired. I'm, I'm alone. I'm, I just want, I just want to be gone. I can't do it. I can't. And, um, you know, I had to really dig in deep to myself, within myself to find the energy, this to, to, to find the inspiration. I was laying in bed one day and I was just down, you know, and, um, and then it just, I just I thought, you know, what if I give up and, you know, if I make it, if I even I survive this, this disease, you know, how will I be, how will I live the rest of my life? Will I live it because I was a cancer, quote-unquote, victim or a cancer victor? Am I going to survive and thrive or am I going to be somebody who says, oh, for me, I had breast cancer? And I prayed to God one night and I just told him, I said, I want to live my life the way that you have ordained it for it to be lived. 'm I pray to you that when I get up in the morning that you'll show me the my, my vision for my life going forward that you'll give me some purpose and if you do I'll give my life to you in service the rest of my days and um, I didn't believe in God anymore I was so upset and angry and hurt but I just said that prayer I went to bed that night and the next morning I was a different person and mm-hmm. I had the vision for tiger Lily. just to, I had the vision for this um, you know a way to help people a woman going through treatment under 40 and it just kind of I had this fire and energy I didn't have before. So that's why you um, woke up
0: the next morning and you were no longer the victim, you were the victor
1: or you that the victor. I was I was, victor. I was just I mean I just felt like infused with this power and energy and and just, you know, joy. And I felt like wasn't sick anymore. I still felt physically bad, but my spirit didn't feel sick anymore. I felt healed in a way that I couldn't that kind of superseded my physical body. You know, I don't know how to explain it. It was like I still had my feet were still numb, my fingers were still dark, I was still bald and still, you know, very thin, and I still felt nauseated, but I don't know how my spirit transcended that sick feeling, and I knew that my my life going forward wouldn't be the same ever again. Um, and I was just, you know, began crying, and I was overwhelmed, and I was like, you know, I thought, oh my God, you know, <laughs> God, you know, he, he kept his word. And then I thought, okay, what now that I've threatened him and begged <laughs> him for this thing, what's it going to be? And, um, the beautiful thing about it is, when you, for me, I'm very spiritual, and you know, and I feel like I was born in a different way, you know, just reborn, and um, because I really wanted to know God and know my purpose, and um, I just began to pray every day, you know, I would hear and feel feel these, you know, thought thoughts, and I would say to God every morning, What's your plan for me today? You know, and I would just listen. I wouldn't ask anymore for things or pray for things. I would pray that he used me the way that he wanted me to use him, to be used. And sometimes I would get an idea to go to some event or be someplace I wasn't supposed to be or didn't know why I was going there. And that's what led me to even the Oprah Winfrey Show. You know, it's, everything I did going forward was pretty much what God wanted me to do. Um, and people would say, talk to this person, go to that person. And, and when I went to the different events, Somebody would say, "Meet somebody else," and and literally, that's how the entire thing happened—is me being guided. And you know, it was amazing to to. It's amazing to watch when I, when you look at something and people would say to me, "Look what you've done," and I'm like, "I didn't do anything. I just <laughs> I just listened and you know, I just show up and I ask God to talk through me to help other people. And that's kind of the way it's been working. But you you did do
0: something. I mean, you're listening. I mean, however you did it in your way and your connection with, with God and your feeling, your spirituality and all of that. But there's not a, when you're describing it anyway, yeah, you may be, to me anyway, you're, you're listening, but you're doing. You're not passive. You, you, you're, you're evolving, I guess it sounds to me in terms of action. Yeah, I mean, I
1: know it's, I know what you mean. And I, I know, I, I just at the same time, I know that the person I was the day before I made that, said that prayer and the person I became were just different people. So I know that even though I'm acting, there's something bigger than me that's involved, that's pushing me forward. And I think that's what I want to give the girls that we're helping through Tiger Lily. It's to know that no matter how bad you feel, no matter how hopeless or helpless or, you know, how depressed or sad, there's something bigger there than out there than you that is waiting for you to just reach your hand out and, and, you know, accept and then move forward. And, you know, people say it all the time, you know, well, I don't want to die when they get cancer. But we're going to all go at some point in our lives what matters is how you use the time that you have right now. Mm -hmm. How do you use the time to make a difference? How do you use the time to give your hand to other people? And it's not about waiting for money or funding or ask. It's just kind of like, because technically, you know, people all, you know, I could have said, well, I don't have any money. I don't have any training for a nonprofit. I don't have any board member. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to just sit here and, Wait for someone to come in and tell me what to do, but I just had to move forward, and you know now we're seven years out. Yeah, I want to talk about
0: the uh, obviously the foundation and Tiger Lily, but before we get to that, I want to just talk about your transformation. I guess uh, I'm using the word transformation because I've heard you describe yourself that you know the before and after, before and after, before the diagnosis of breast cancer, and then afterwards. be authentic to yourself. You say that at that point you became authentic to yourself, which was different than the way you had been before. You're concerned right. with the way you look. Let's, because, you know, and also, well, I want you to talk about some of the issues that it may be more specific to women under 40. Appearance. Sex. Uh, you know, there are things that may be more specific to younger women when they're diagnosed with breast cancer than to someone
1: out of 70 or 65.
0: That's right, three different questions.
1: Point, Authentic to yourself. You know, because at, at the age when I got diagnosed, and most women who get under 40, they're at a place where they're finding themselves. Their key focus has been, you know, college, career, marriage, house, children, financial security. And your whole, the past four years of your life in school or eight years have been defined by getting someplace, getting to a, a goal. And, um... Let's say you finally got there and you get this diagnosis and your whole life falls apart. So your identity is, is those things. It's not really who you are. You're not your house or your car or your job or your husband or your kids. You're you. And so the thing that happens, I find, is that breast cancer, the women I've met who have been diagnosed, they get to a point where they're diagnosed and they become more impassioned for life, but they kind of look at themselves and, you know, who am I? What are my dreams? You know, what am I, What am I? what do I want? To leave behind whenever I do go. What do I want? Who would I want to be? What makes me happy? What are my hobbies? How can I laugh out loud, louder and, and more? And how do I share what I have with other people? So they kind of have that, you know, epiphany about their life and their goals and so forth. Um, the other thing that happens is, you know, you look back at your life and the time that you spent, you know, there are girls who have contacted me who are you know, 22 years old and they're like, you know, they've been, they're partying and having a good time and they get diagnosed. No one expects to get di- diagnosed at 21 or 25 years old. It's is a shocking thing. It really shakes your, it really shakes your equilibrium for, of your life and makes you look at what's important. Um
0: you know, that I, I just wanna, I think that's an important point a really important point because doesn't you know expectation has a lot to do with things not that anyone ever wants to be diagnosed with breast cancer but when you get to be over 50 over 60 over 70 there is something about it you know more people who have been diagnosed usually uh, it's more yeah. of an expectation that it could happen this is kind of like a train wreck you didn't expect it at all this and so it has you're to not be ready even, yeah you don't have
1: support sure. doctor. your friends are all in college and broke and i don't have insurance even when you're just like where I was, I had just finally gotten to where I thought I was. I was living my dream, so I had just bought a house and put every single all my money into the house, and I just bought a new car. And so my whole life was like, you know, I had not I didn't have any a lot of resources left, and my friends were all like me. They're all you know early thirties, late twenties, and getting on their feet, so their their focuses on different things, and you know it just was really hard support-wise because we don't we didn't have many friends. I didn't have any friends who had ever had cancer so who could I talk to you about my situation and who could really understand what I was going through? I had one friend who'd had lymphoma, but she, you know, that was a different kind of cancer, so different experience there. And then there's issues with, you know, if you have cancer and you're dating. Let's say you've had a mastectomy. How do you date meet a guy, you know, and tell him, oh, I have one breast or none? or I have How do you everywhere? do that? You know, when I first began dating, honestly, afterwards, I, I would just... um um, did you have your breast it. removed, or did you have reconstruction, or did, uh, I had a lumpectomy, on... but I had some scars on the the right breast and the under my right um, on my chest by my arms. From you know, so I had some scars. But when I first began going out, I didn't have any hair. So you know, I would have a friend say you should meet this person, and you know, you know, I don't want to go out. No, I don't want to do it. And then she's like, oh, they're telling the guy about you, and you finally show up there, and he's like, well, where's your hair? okay, well, I'm just finishing treatment. Okay. Then the the birds start chirping. and all of a sudden, his phone, he has to go. Something happened that was really important. Or, you know, or um, you tell, even, you know, as maybe even three years ago, I was dating somebody and, you know, it was really going really well. And then it came up, okay, we're going into longer time, you know, a couple more months now and, you know, four months, five months and I really care about you. And can you have kids? Well, of course I can. Well, my parents said that you had breast cancer and you had chemo, you may not be able to have kids, you know. And um, well, no, that's not true. What if it is true and you can't have kids, we won't have children. And so people have those preconceived notions about you, you know, and um it, it's really hard. I mean I have friends who couldn't afford to do certain things or maybe didn't want to go through more surgeries and don't have two breasts. They have one breast or they have scars everywhere and you know, they're young women and um it impacts their self esteem and it impacts their dating. A, you know, and I meet a guy. One of my other friends, her fiance, walked away um, after her trip, and he was with her the whole time. He stayed with her, and he, when she was done, he left. Um, so you know, it's just a, it's really does a point. it get
0: tiring? I mean, I, I mean, uh, obviously you've done so much more and have gone way beyond this. Or you have gone beyond this, and that's what oh, I, yeah. I talk about in I the second like half of the I show. Can... I want to talk about you know the uh, your foundation, but. Like, does it get wearing after a while? Every time you go out with somebody, you always have to explain yourself. This is all, or does it become easier? Or does it become,
1: well, you know. You know what to me it is? It's a way to weed people out. I mean, people are going to, as we, we're all going to age and things are going to happen. And I, at first I thought, oh my God, you know, I'm never going to find somebody. Then I thought, oh my, this is really awesome. It's a natural weeding our process. <laughs> but me the a guy. I'm like, I'm fabulous. I'm <laughs> wonderful. I'm a good person. Here I am. Here's who I am. And if he wants to deal with it, he can deal with it. And if not, then it saves me time. So I tell them, I tell anybody I did right up front that, you know, everything. I mean, not the first date, but after a couple of, you know, weeks, you know. And the thing that's really cool is that people in my community know who I am. So anybody who I'm meeting knows up front, with, you know, and um really a protocol eliminate
0: Let's say is, I mean, a protocol for, on the third date you would tell somebody or if you're not really going to get involved, is it necessarily, necessary for them to know if you're just dating somebody casually or, and I,
1: I think, I think dating casually is, if it's just dating casually, then it's not a big deal, but I don't really have the time to date casually. I'm really, I'm really, you know, I want to enjoy my life and make every moment count. So when I meet somebody, that person has that potential that I can see that might be going someplace. So, but but the third date I'll know if it's going to go anywhere. And then if, at that point, I think it's going to go someplace, then we have the conversation. Um, and I think it's just easier to weed people out. I mean, you don't want to scare a guy off, but by the third time you're going out, you should be, you know, no, you should be aware because you don't want to go to, down the path where you spent two, or three months with somebody and you care about them and you get hurt because he's telling you, well, I can't be with you because you can't, may not be able to, you know, have kids that may have recurrence and, you know, and it's not to say women who have breast cancer under 40 are going to have... A recurrence or cannot have kids. Many of them have gone on to have children. The issue is that the perception that some men might have is that you may be damaged goods. But there are many, many men who I know who have, who are married to friends of mine, who are dating friends of mine, or who, you know, I have dated that are just wonderful, you know. So it's just kind of, I think it's, tell the person that if they're meant to be in your life, they will be. And if not, then they can get to, you know, I just got them.
0: What I hear you <laughs> saying, uh, Mama, it's just, you are who you are. You know, that word authentic comes back. This is who I am. I, I'm not somebody else. And if you want to be with me or don't, then that's the way it's going to be. But not making, never make excuses for yourself. Or
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'll tell you, I met a man at the airport when I was traveling. I had on a T-shirt. I um, mean, it says, super survivor. And he came up to me and he said, are you a survivor of breast cancer? And I said, yes. And he said, my wife has was a survivor as well. And I said, that's amazing. And I said, I have to thank you whenever I meet a man like you who's, been there for his partner it really touches me because a lot of some men, many men support their wives, and I personally didn't have I didn't have that. My partner walked away, and it's always a hard thing to. As I begin getting out there, I always used to wonder. Now I'm fine, but I used to. When I met a man like like you, I always give me that hope that I would find somebody who was just so supportive. And and he said, Oh, I met her after she had breast cancer. She only has one breast. She had one. I met her. She only had one um, one breast, and she never wanted to have reconstruction. I said you met her after her surgery and she had one breast and she he said yeah I told her because she told him after their you know third fourth or fifth seed and she was very shy about it and he said I don't want you for your breast I want you for you you know and I love that story because um there are many men out there there are more men out there like him than there are the other kind
0: yeah and that's fortunate the
1: other the other thing is and I think you watching you I
0: think on uh, on the internet you you talk about being authentic and the stuff maybe as a young woman that we, we kind of touched on this, you know, your looks, your weight, your you know, all kind of those things that young women are concerned about. Don't, you know, once you're diagnosed, other, your priorities change. However, you are beautiful. <laughs> I mean, to me, I'm looking at you on, on the Internet, and, and to me, you look like a supermodel. Um, so um, how does that impact? You know, I mean, you, that well, part, you know, that's part of who you are also.
1: No, it I mean I'm not saying don't um, worry about those things. I'm just saying that, you know, when you for me it, those things don't define who I am. I think my for me the inner my inner self is more important than how I look. I mean, I want to look good. I want to be beautiful and vibrant, but I think that when you're really truly happy, that's that's such everlasting beauty in itself. And you can be beautiful on the outside and not feel good on the inside and that radiate that comes out as well. So my thing is to empower women to feel their best. Inside and let that beauty shine out. That's what's important. We're Um, talking
0: to uh, you know we're going to take a break now and we're going to come back and then we're going to talk about your Tiger Lily Foundation because obviously we're all interested in that. Uh, Nema Carmo, she's the author of Fearless, and uh, we will uh, be back in a minute. You're listening to the Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Don't go away. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Do the adventures of Indiana Jones leave you curious about this exotic and unusual profession? If so, don't miss Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein We're a show all about wine, spirits, and other beverages. Your host, Kimber Stonehouse, is a professional expert and wine enthusiast. Each week, we'll focus on a different region of the world, discuss wines and other beverages, talk about some of the top restaurants in the region, and what to pair with which wine. Just listening could make you almost an expert. Around the World in a Glass is heard live every Wednesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel we're back. I'm Catherine Zuck. You're a social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to the Catherine Zuck Show on Voice America Variety uh, and World Talk Radio. Uh, joining me this morning is uh, breast cancer survivor and author Mema Carmo. Her new book is Fearless: If You're Just Joining Us, Awakening to My Life's Purpose Through Breast Cancer. And she was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 32. So, Mema, now that we've been taught you've been obviously telling us your personal story, but as a result of that. Um you founded the Tiger Lily Foundation. Um so let's talk about what is the Tiger Lily Foundation? What do you do? Well, you know, what's the mission?
1: Well, Tiger Lily was the the, you know, the inspiration after I got breast cancer. And our mission is to educate young women about their breast health, to advocate for them, to empower them to be their own best self advocates and to provide hands-on support services uh during and after breast cancer. Um our motto is beauty, strength, and transformation. And because, it's, like I mentioned earlier, it's important to be, you know, to have inner beauty and joy and to be strong and to be reminded that you are strong um, and you can't be transformed by the experience of breast cancer. Um, and so what we do is really about giving these young women life again and life in the sense of, you know, inner life and strength and inspiring them and giving them hope and um, letting them know that they're not their cancer. And the cancer doesn't define who they are, but they do define themselves. And um, to be, you know, inspired to think about what they'll do after their treatment's over and who they want to be and really figure out and find themselves, become more authentic and more of who they're meant to be. Um, The other thing is we go into schools and educate young women about their breast health. We go into colleges and faith-based institutions. We also provide hands-on support, which is important to me. Um, When I first began the foundation, people kept asking me, you know, saying, well, what kind of, who do you support with research, and what do you guys do you support breast cancer research? And while I think it's critical to do that, people are not giving enough support services, particularly the women who are under 40. When I was diagnosed, and I've heard this from many other young women I've talked to when they've called the bigger foundations, they're given, you know, race for sure and, and you know, and packets for funding and so forth, but they don't get that hands-on. So we provide peer support. We provide buddy bags. They're, they're called hope bags, and they're bags the girls get with blankets, scarves, hats, silk, lotions, and all kinds of wonderful things in their journals to help them to feel not so alone during treatment. And um, we provide meals to young women so they don't have to cook after surgery. Um, and um, we do provide house cleaning and other services. We One of our biggest programs is called Funds for Families, which um, is a way to pay bills for women who are in treatment. So we pay, you know, utilities, rent, more, you know, mortgage, car payments, pay for kids, you know, to go to daycare and so forth. Um, our other program is called uh, Stage 4, which is direct support for girls who are going, dealing with Stage 4 breast cancer. Um, it's important to help the women, the girls after treatments over. So we, pro- we have a program called New Normal, which is um, a way to um, provide services that help them to become, to find that new normal. So we pay for them to get gym memberships and, you know, get, do Reiki or acupuncture or get massage or, you know, see a coach or just things that are going to help them to improve their quality of life and lower the stress after treatment is over. And so all those programs, we have some other programs that we do, but it's really about helping the woman find her balance, giving her a hand, like a loving hand to help her through down that path. And then when treatment is over, you know, oftentimes you're told, congratulations, you're done, you're now a survivor. Go into the world and and go forth and you know and so you <laughs> and multiply and, and then you're like what 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 am I selling who am I what am I gonna do and I remember leaving my radiation treatment the last one and told been told you know hey go go you know you're done congratulations go live and I thought well I don't know how to live anymore I've been racing and, and and fleeing from this disease for the past you know year and I've been fighting something and if I go home how am I gonna be fighting it still is it gonna grow back is it gonna Come and kill me when I don't know, when I'm not aware. And, you know, my whole life's different. I look different. I feel different. And so I left and I went, I sat in my car and cried. You know, I just sat there and cried and I literally cried every day for almost six months. I just was, you know, I was scared and didn't know what to do. And so, um, through a series of events, I began doing yoga and yoga instructor and in my class. Um, I went to the class and after the class, she was very intuitive. She came to me after and said, can you stay with me for a while? And then she just touched me and I just melted. I hadn't been touched by another person like that for a long time. I've been touched by doctors and prodded and poked, but I hadn't been held like, you know, and she just knew to hug me and the way she hugged me was just such a, you know, amazing thing. And, you know, I went and got, began getting massage and wonderful friend of mine offered to give me life coaching and so I realized how pivotal those things can be at that point in time. It can, you know, make or inspire or transform someone's life, you know, and give them new hope. And so we offer those programs through our, you know, through Tiger Lily now. I, I, I'm
0: amazed by the whole story that you are, were able to, first of all, I mean, starting a foundation is also starting a business, right? And that you uh, were able to do that and be so successful at it and, and know how to do that. I mean, even though you're... You, you know, your heart was in the right place and you'd have the experience and, you know, you realized what women needed, practical. You've got all kinds of practical things that you provide for them as well as the emotional, but actually getting the foundation going. How did you do that? You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's its the idea. I, I was in yeah. a
1: chemo-induced haze. <laughs> <laughs> there are times when I look back and even, like, you know, like last night I was up working late and I thought, I'm tired, i got to go to bed. But there were times when I was in treatment and I would be up until 3 4 in the morning. I mean, I don't know how I did it. Honestly, that's why I'm, I really feel like, like you know, there, there is something bigger than me in the whole thing. Because um, I mean, I knew that I had to help women first of all. Then I thought, okay, well, no, I got to help young women. And then I, I built the website, and it was just my story and, and resources. And I thought, well, that's everybody has that. And I prayed, okay, well, God, okay, I have the site up, and I have my story, and I have resources. But what do I do? Okay, well, then what are you getting that you're not? What are you getting that you like, and what are you not getting that you need? Okay, then, okay, then those became programs. And then some of them didn't work, some worked, and then they got, you know, more refined. And, you know, I had to get a 501c3 and a board, and honestly, it's not easy. I'm not going to tell anybody that. people are I know five it's five. not easy.
0: That's why I'm asking you this question. I'm, you talk about I getting know. a board. How did you get your board? How did you decide who you were going to get on your board?
1: Um, well, I mean, even that was a, a transformation. I mean, I got people on the board who were enthusiastic about what I was doing and wanted to support me. And then I realized, okay, well, they're just cheerleaders. They're not going to be rolling up their sleeves and giving it their all. So they have to go. So there, there was that too. And I mean, it's a business. It's like if beginning a small business. It's not easy. I've, I've given my life the past seven years, um, my time, my personal funds. I've, you know, you sacrifice time with friends. You sacrifice, you know, you know, even dating. I didn't date for five years almost. I just, I was consumed by beginning, by, by starting up this foundation. Um, I had a young daughter, and, you know, I thank God she's the kind of child who is very compassionate, and she saw what I went through. So she, you know, when I took her to my events and I was up working late, and, you know, the weekends were just going from this event to that event, she just kind of came along with her crayons. And, you know, it's it's a personal commitment, but I know that my life isn't bigger than just my fatigue or my If I'm tired or I'm frustrated, I always have, I always keep in mind that there's somebody out there who's getting that call, you have breast cancer, who's scared out of her mind, and who maybe, or a girl, you know, I've buried so many friends and I remember sitting with them. So when I get to the point where I think this is really hard, or maybe I don't know if I can do this anymore, or I lost another person, I remember the promise I made to my friends that I'm going to keep doing this work and it will be, it will grow and it will be around to help other women like them so they survive. So,
0: yeah, so you're, you, you know? make it personal every time. You get frustrated, you get tired, you get exhausted or you have failures like we all do and then you make it, you look at the person, you, you remember the person or the people that you're helping. Yeah,
1: I look, at, yeah, yeah, look, I I at, look some... at my friends' pictures, I look at the girls, you know, and I just say, okay, I'm doing it for you or my daughter, you know, I, Going to her room and she's laying in bed and I'm like, okay, I need to do this. This is for her. What you about know? men?
0: Do you have men? You, t- we, uh, you know, before we took the break, you were talking about the man you met in the airport and how supportive he was, and actually his girlfriend or his wife, I forgot, had one breast and he married her, and, and that's when he met her. But do you have men who call in or who are who have who uh, need help as well because they are their wife or their spouse or their partner or whoever has been diagnosed or.
1: Quite often, yeah, we do. Um, a lot of men, I shouldn't say a lot, a fair number of men do call um, when their wife has been diagnosed. Um, I meet people all the time, and sometimes, you know, a recent uh, caller, or I'm sorry, he emailed a friend of mine we met through a series of events, and he said his mother had gotten breast cancer, and he was overwhelmed and wanted to help her. What should he do? And, you know, we were able to talk, and so, so we, that's all, you know, that's in place, but we're also beginning a new initiative. Um, that we are launching in the next couple of weeks, next maybe month or so, called Pink Tie Guys, where we're recruiting men who are husbands of survivors or brothers of survivors or friends or just men who want to be involved with the with the you know supporting this mission. And what they're going to be doing is being ambassadors and sharing information and being a resource for other men who are getting as whose wives are getting diagnosed, or sisters, or girlfriends, or fiancés. So are going to be men who have been touched directly and men who have been touched by the mission and um, we're going to recruit them and train them and let them out to the world and um, be our voice and um, be involved in making a difference.
0: That's a fantastic idea and that's probably unique. I've never, I haven't heard of that in terms of any cancer organizations necessarily that are so specific like that. Training, you know, having men have the opportunity to be trained or I guess, train is the right word I guess.
1: Yeah, they have to be taught about what they're doing. I mean, one thing people, people sometimes don't even, they know that they're supporting breast cancer, they don't know what they're supporting. If you ask the average person who has walked a major walk or race what their, where the money's going or what they're doing it for, let's say it's for breast cancer awareness and people are dying and then, okay, well then you ask them other questions about, what are you doing about it? What is, what's the impact you're going to make? And they just kind of go, well, I just walked, you know, um you know, a two, two day walk or a three day walk or walked five miles. Okay, well then what are you going to do every day? and they can't give you an answer. So what we're going to do is give these guys tools. We're going to say, well, you're now part of this movement. Here's what you have to do. And we're going to, you know, um, send them targeted, you know, emails and have, you know, networking event happy hours and get them involved in our events and in our educational programs and um, as volunteers as well.
0: You're getting a dialogue going, you know. My experience with men, and this is a generalization, I think, and and for people in general, but maybe particularly men have a difficulty when talking about breast cancer. Just even, you know, first you have to be aware, but second, you have to be able to talk about breast cancer, talk about your situation, and I find that men that's very difficult for them to do. Um, maybe less it so is. for yeah.
1: It is, and that's why we're um you know we're doing this because sometimes they don't know how to talk about it, and sometimes. I mean, men have, sometimes have a hard time talking about, you know, emotional things in general, even, you know, in relationships or, you know, so, you know, in, when cancer strikes, the woman that they love the most is now, and instead of the household is now, you know, and she's um, shaken. So, um, for me and looking at our organization, we thought if we start getting these guys as far, you know, educated early and sensitized to this issue earlier, in knowing what to say, it'll make them more, amenable, more open, and more able to support their spouses when, if and when this happens with their mothers, you know, um, I got an email last week from a friend who, his cousin had gotten diagnosed, he didn't know what to say, he said, what do I tell her, you know, and so giving them these, you know, even like a, you know, three tips to tell somebody who you know that's gotten diagnosed, tell your friend, your girl, woman friends, what to do to be better self-advocates, is important, Um, Yeah.
0: And each person, I, I, at least in my experience, like uh, I have, um, I've had a couple cousins diagnosed with breast cancer, and each each one of her friends, each one of her relatives has something different to offer. Like, if you understand what you have to offer, I can't give her everything. I can only do certain things. Her best friend can do something else. But like, really, as a friend or a relative or someone who really cares or loves that person who was diagnosed, find out what you're best at giving to them.
1: Exactly, and that's where the family comes in. You know, if the husband's educated and the friends are aware and all these men and women and, you know, we're getting kids involved, you know, we have events targeting young, young girls as young as, like, you know, seven, eight years old. If the entire community's aware and sensitized, then when the woman gets diagnosed, there's not this, oh my god, you know, what do, I, I feel like I lost to help her. Everybody kind of can pitch in from a selfless perspective and just get in there and help her where they can. And that's what something that a gift that I got when I was in treatment. I mean, my family just kind of pitched in. You know, my one cousin would come over and, and wash my daughter's hair and give her a bath. The other would come over and sit and talk to me. Um, my other cousin, you know, he he is one of my best friends. He didn't know what to say but so he just would come and sit there with me and watch, you know, mm-hmm. watch um T V and you know, one took me to chemotherapy treatments and so it's important that people actually get involved or you know, just as a um you know, on an ongoing basis with making a difference. When something happens, it's not this, you know, shell-shocked, what do I do now? They kind of know where, how to jump in and just start helping. Yeah.
0: And uh, you don't have to say the right thing. The other thing is, what about kids? Because you're talking about, like say, women under 40. But you have women who are 35 to 40 diagnosed. They may even have daughters, 12-year-old daughters, 13-year-old daughters. How, how, let's talk about the children because sometimes they're, left out, they're terrified, they're frightened, they don't say anything. Well, how do you deal with that, and, and particularly in terms of, like, the Tiger Lily Foundation?
1: Well, we, my daughter, who's 10 now, launched an event that we had this year in March called Pajama Glam, and what it was was, you know, she's been watching me do what, you know, run, begin, and grow the foundation, and she wanted to make, find a way to, she's like, mommy, there are other girls out there like me who, when you were sick, I didn't know what to do, and I was scared, but she didn't even know how to express her fear. She was three and then four, and then five, and watching me go through my depression and fear and anxiety and strength. And, you know, all that I was going through, she, she literally was able to not, she couldn't really explain to me until she was about six what she felt, and then she was asking me what she could do to help. So we had this event we launched where we bring, you know, about 250 girls that came, and women and girls. And these are little girls as young as, you know, six, seven, five, six years old. But the goal is to get them into a room where it's a pajama party and we have this, you know, fun event. But then they leave with, we had people doing Simba dancing and handing out tips on nutrition and talking about, you know, body health awareness and lifestyle and fitness. And so we pull the women and girls in together and then we encourage the moms to kind of begin a healthy dialogue with their daughters about different things. So they're not shocked if the woman gets sick or they hear about it and then breast cancer isn't this dirty word is something that people know that happens, and it's part of life sometimes, and like anything, like a flat tire. I mean, it's not a flat tire. Of course, it's more dire than that, <laughs> but, you know, bad things do happen, but there's ways to support and, and not, you know, let it overcome you. And that way also people know that we're there as a resource. And so um, having the event for young girls is a fun way to get people educated, empowered, inspired, and into the dialogue early. So these young women are coming to breast cancer events at, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old, and then we pull in the girls who are a little bit older into our programs to start volunteering or, you know, we go into the schools as well. So it's kind of like we have different ways of getting into the community. It's the events. It's different different kinds of events, some targeting teens, some targeting college-age young women, some targeting corporate, you know, people. And so um, we do the events, do the programs. You know, we have the one-on-one um support with the girls who are diagnosed and who are in treatment, and then we have our ambassadors. We have women who are ambassadors in the community who are anything from, you know, women who have gone through breast cancer to news anchors and, you know, local celebrities and so forth, and then we have the Teen Tide Guide program now, too. So we kind of have different ways of doing our outreach to different age groups and demographics.
0: You're infiltrating the community.
1: (laughs) Infiltrating it with a smile. (laughs) Yes, in a very positive way.
0: Right. And also these young girls, I guess, uh, afterwards, I mean, maybe this is a good way of using social media, then they can, let's say you have a group of 10 years old, 10 year old, 11, 12, whatever, then they can communicate with one another, uh, if they have questions, kind of support groups with each other, even outside the foundation, I would, it would seem to me, once they have the information and the connection.
1: Yeah. So we have a huge um, social media um, outreach, and, I mean, people are adding every day. We reach directly about 12,000 people, between 12,000 to 17,000 people daily um, through social media, and we have Twitter as well as a whole other component. And um, so we do a lot of social media, and we encourage our supporters to tweet, to tweet and retweet and to, you know, tag. And so people are always adding on our pages and sharing our information Um, And we're also beginning affiliates in different states. So we have ambassadors in different states who are doing outreach on our behalf as well, people who are doing events. But social media is a huge component for us, and a lot of our marketing is done via the Internet, which is fantastic. It's um, efficient, effective, and very low cost.
0: Yeah, and it gets out to the world. I mean, it's a global thing once you start doing social media. So Tiger Lily Foundation, Listeners can go to Tiger Lily Foundation, Um obviously that's the website. And then, the, what, there are other websites that you recommend that you think that listeners, it would be helpful for them to have?
1: Well, definitely if they go to our website, which is www.tigerlily, and it's l-i-l-y, we have a resource page which has over a hundred different resources, anywhere from financial assistance to, you know, caregiving to other cancer, Breast cancer sites. Um, we have tips on nutritional websites, and we, so there's a resource page you can find that has a lot of other links on there as well. There's so many of them. People are doing a lot of good things in this world, and um, we have, we're lucky to have many of them as partners.
0: Is there anything that we should know about in terms of like new research? That you know, we talk about racing for the cure, but um, you have all this information. Are we any step further to to a cure?
1: I don't. I don't know that I can say that at this moment. You know, um, I think where people are making a lot of progress in the community. um, There's a new drug for stage four breast cancer that's that people that were that's been released that's been was received well by the people being treated in the market. Um, But I think also that a lot of it's a two pronged thing. It's you know, is the research is a critical element. People need to fund that as well. But need to also live a preventative lifestyle. You know, you can't just look to getting a cure after you get diagnosed. It's really important to eat healthy, live well, be balanced. And, you know, it's important to invest in your own health. It's, it's, it is more expensive. People oftentimes say, well, it's hard to, it costs money to choose and to buy green foods and to, you know, eat healthier, but then the cost of not doing that is much higher. It could be the cost of your life, you know. Um, and that's one thing we were very, very um, strong proponents of the tiger lily. We were focusing primarily on prevention, in early education. So teaching people ways to, you know, stay healthy by, again, nutrition and diet and lifestyle is really important to us. Um, Because, we know, we find that, you know, cancer is a small percent of its genetics. A small percent of it is, you know, people get it just because it just happens. And then a large part of it is just, you know, maybe in in environmental causes. I mean, they're looking at that now more and more. Because there hasn't been a cure in 30-something years or ever. We don't have a cure. So what, can we figure out about our environment, you know, externally and inside that could be causing this to happen? Um, and that's what is one thing that interests me very much, is looking at environmental causation um, of disease.
0: I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that's a huge, and I think that's just, big, people are just beginning to get their, their um Hands around it, I guess. Prevention, and not after the fact kind of stuff. And and environmental environmental causes have never been, I've found, sexy. People don't want to talk about it. You know, there's not, it's it's, it's there's something about it that is kind of too scientific, and and you know, people don't seem to launch onto that or think that they, or latch onto that or even think that they have any control over it. But I guess you're saying we do, and we need to take a look at that. I, I think that's really important.
1: Well, I'm saying something caused a cancer in the first place. Looking for a shot to fix a problem or a pill or some kind of drug, is it's important to have those. People are dying of breast cancer and other cancers every day. It's important to have research. It's so important. I can't stress that enough. But I also cannot stress enough that we need to take um, control of our own lives and do what we can. You know our body. I mean, there's just even looking at how we, you know, what kind of foods we're buying, the toxins in our homes, you know, the toxins in our car, in the air we breathe and Taking control of your own life is so important to to be a partner in your own health, you know, and um, not wait till something happens to get treatment, which is, again, it's a whole other cost factor and a lifetime cost factor as well. And so, you know, we stress, like I said, you know, to the young woman how important it is. My daughter juices, you know, almost every day, and she hasn't gotten until she got a virus a week ago, but she hasn't gotten a cold in almost, you know, six years. You know, it's just like you know and so we're exploring, you know, eat more of that, eating healthy, eating green, um, and looking at, you know, exercise and, and you know, um, just detoxification for your body, keeping your body detoxed and, and free of toxins is such an important thing that we teach women and girls throughout you know, through our work.
0: And do you do this in the schools when you go around um,
1: yeah. We go into schools, we're often called to go to to do health fairs at schools and companies and um we have volunteers who we teach to go into the community and deliver the program um, that does education. So we talk about doing your body, doing breast examinations. We talk about, you know, um, lifestyle, nutrition, diet, you know, exercise, yoga, and things like that. And, you know, I tell everybody who works for us or volunteers, you know, you have to practice what you preach. <laughs> so I get them engaged with doing, you know, healthy things. And um, we promote that at all of our events. Yeah, um, uh, you know, you mentioned
0: yeah. that you have to pra- you practice what you preach, and I've mentioned this on my show before, but um, you know, I'll go to a physician or a physicians for checkups and stuff and I look at them and they don't practice what they preach, you know, maybe no, it's they're a terrible thing. <laughs> yeah, and and they're they're obese or they're not necessarily smoking, but they certainly don't look healthy and I think, well, what kind of, you know, role model are you going are you for your patients? But I think that's really important.
1: Yeah, I mean it's really important, and um, everybody's different. I can't speak for everybody's lifestyle, but you know, for me, every morning I run, you know, between three to five miles. Every morning I choose. Um, I don't have processed foods in my house. It is it costs more money, but then I have to give up certain things, you know, that I might want to do. But you know, it's just really important, you know, doing yoga, um, practicing healthy breathing, you know, looking at my my household products and what I'm putting, in, you know, spraying in the house, even skincare products. You know, there's a whole there's a foundation, I forget the name at the moment, but their focus is on environmental toxins. And our skin is our biggest organ, but we're poisoning our skin on a daily basis with different products for, you know, lotions and makeup and, and hair care products, and we're putting this on our children's skin. So that even when a woman is giving birth to a child, oftentimes they've done they've done studies where they measure the amount of toxins that are, a, a newborn baby is born with, you know? And so looking at it, even from that perspective, that micro perspective, like if you don't think about even what you're doing or what you're not doing or what you're not aware of, think about, you know, giving birth to a baby that's born with, you know, toxins in his bloodstream because of, you know, the way that we the mother might be living and not being aware of it. So it's really important to... To us, to teach people to know better, to make better choices, and to make them aware that they. Well, you're definitely
0: doing that, and the Tiger Lily Foundation. I mean, it's obviously it's an amazing project. We have to say goodbye. It was great talking to you today, and I really thank Thank you. you. (laughs) And yeah, you are you are preventing, you are saving lives. Tiger Lily Foundation. You can go to TigerLilyFoundation.com, Dot com and uh, uh, Mame's new book, Mame Carmo, is called. Fearless. So uh, you can buy that online and bookstores everywhere, too. Great talking to you. Thank you so
1: much. Thank you. Have a great day.
0: Yeah, you too. We're going to say goodbye now. I'm Catherine Zock, your social worker with the microphone, and you have been listening to The Catherine Zock Show on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great day, and we'll see you next Wednesday.
1: We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of The Catherine Zock Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox.